720 WGN. It is uh, Dane here with you. Hi, atop Chicago Skyline Studio. Uh, and excited to have, honored to have uh, on the line with us. Uh, she was the secretary to, to Beatles manager Brian Epstein, uh, the original president of the Beatles fan club uh, before the band became famous to becoming the biggest band in the world and creating possibly the most memorable music of all time. It is the one and only Frida Kelly. Frida, welcome to WGN. Hello, thank you, and good morning. Good morning. It is morning here. <laughs> it is morning there. Good day, sunshine. Tom Hush playing that, and so great to have that be sort of your kind of opening song here. And so we, we want to get into it, a life that has been magically defined by so much music and so much magic and started off in the most, I think, unassuming ways, right? Is So if you could kind of describe that, when you when you answered the, the job or you got offered the job, the job description didn't say become... Uh, you know, part of a, a musical phenomenon. What was that job description and what were you expecting when you first took it? Well, there was no description because I didn't go for the job. Um, I was just a regular at the Cavern uh, and a Beatle fan. And, uh, of course, naturally I got to know them because I was going that often in my dinner hour from work. I worked around the corner from the Cavern Club. And then I got to know Brian Epstein, but everybody in Liverpool knew Brian Epstein because he was the manager of the, the big record shop then. And then one night I was watching the Beatles play in a place near Penny Lane, and Brian Epstein was there. And uh, I just went up to the counter to get an orange juice because there was no alcohol <laughs> it, it sold in those days in the club's. And uh, Brian came over to me and started talking, and then he said he was going to start his own firm, because he worked for his father at the time, and he was going to uh, sign the Beatles up. And I just said, oh, right. And he said, uh, so I'm going to start my own firm, and I'll be looking for a secretary. I've already got one. He was taking his secretary from NEMS Limited, and then he asked me, uh, would I like to come along? And I said, uh, well, I'll have to think about it. <laughs> anyway, it, the deal was that I went along the following Wednesday, and he told me what I'd have to do. And there was only the three of us in the beginning, a girl called Beryl Adams, myself, and Brian Epstein. So I gave my job up, uh, gave them a week's notice, and then went to start with Brian Epstein. Now, I was just a secretary at the time, but I was helping a girl called Bobby Brown. Uh, she ran the Beatles fan club. and But then, you know, later on that year, which was 1962, Bobby decided that she wanted to pack the fan club in because she worked full-time for a travel agent and she'd found a boyfriend and she wanted to spend more time with him. So she didn't want to do the mail of a night. So she said to me, I'm going to pack it in. And I said, well, you can tell Brian Epstein. <laughs> so she told uh, Brian Epstein, and then he came in to me in the office that I was in and just said, uh, oh, Bobby's packing the fan club up. Uh, you can take it over. So wow. I thought, oh, my God, where, where do I start? <laughs> so I was doing his work in the day, and if I got a spare moment, I would do answer some letters. And then I was doing it of a night. But, you know, they'd um, only release Love Me Do then. So the mail wasn't too bad. Not until, you know, um, it then 
when Please Please Me came out in the January 1963, it then started building up. Oh, now, Frida, and let the listeners know we're talking with Frida Kelly, of course, so uh, just so identified with the Beatles, obviously having been there since before they became famous. And of course, you know, through the entire history of of the band, you were a fan before. You, like you said, you watched them in the clubs and you mentioned, you know, Penny Lane, you mentioned Liverpool, words and cities that have become uh, synonymous with the Beatles that probably we wouldn't even know about if it weren't for the band and for all those things that, that you saw. And so the, the question is, did you... Did you know? I mean, you were a fan anyway, just like lots of people are fans of lots of bands. Of course, you couldn't have seen that kind of unprecedented success. But did you know that there was something maybe super special about these guys? Oh, not maybe. Definitely. Um, when you, I would defy anybody to go down the cavern steps, see the Beatles on stage, and then come out and say, I'm not a Beatles fan. If they say that, they're fibbing. Because... Once you saw them, you were just taken in, and you definitely wanted more. And that was me. It's one. It's one of the things too. Is there just wasn't what we have today, as far as you know, whether it's television channels or whether it's social media or any way to kind of share that. So you felt kind of like you were sitting on maybe you know one of those best kept secrets that happened. You mentioned the you know kind of working the fan club. They had fans. They were big in the area. And then, and I know I saw this in, in one of the uh, one of the stories, one of the things online, and certainly part of the documentary is that you're like, okay, well, it just make it easier just to have your own address in there for the fan mail, right? And then after that, you know, at what point did it become? Geez, you know, I don't know what I've got myself into. This is more than a full time job with the fan club. Oh well, you know, um, I took over from the girl called Bobby, and then I gave my own home address. You. You know, 17 years of age, you don't really think what's going to happen. Right. And, um, then, you know, the mail started coming in just little tiny bundles, and then those bundles built up, and then those bundles ended up as sacks, and uh, my father was having a blue fit because his personal mail was among the Beatles' mail. So I would have to go through it every day to find his mail because in those days you got, used to get, you know, uh, I, the story I tell is like you'd get your telephone bill and it would be blue around the envelope and then you would get, if you didn't pay it, you got another bill with red around the envelope which meant you had so much time to pay or you would get cut off. In other words, they would close your, your line down and uh, my father was getting bills <laughs> You know, Red, we are going to cut you off. And in the end, he looked at me and he went, do something about this. (laughs) So we ended up as a, uh, we we got a P.O. box. And, um, but before that even, we divided England in half. So there was another girl called Bettina Rose. She'd done the south of England and I'd done the north. But naturally, that. It just wasn't working, and then uh, Tony Barrow, he then gave out the London address from his press office, and we got a girl called Anne Collingham, but that was a made-up name. It was just if if staff left in London, he didn't have to change the stationery, but uh, people wanted to see this Anne Collingham. (laughs) So uh, on the odd occasion, this girl called Mary would pretend that she was Anne Collingham. But then 
finally uh, they decided no free to take over oh. so then i took over the the running the whole running of the fan club it, it, because of course it was the world then you know i had area secretaries for england you know each county in england and then we had fan club secretaries abroad but they all came under uh, the wing of me having to do it on the fly like that too and i'll contend that there wasn't a blueprint for this there wasn't a roadmap for it i don't know that there was no, a band that had no ever... i learned I, I learned as i went along yep 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 and and in one way it was good you know it wasn't like somebody sensible and old running it <laughs> uh, it was me because i was a beatle fan yeah. so you know i i knew if i joined a fan club what i would want so um i tried to to give as much as you know the lesser said you know what they wanted i would try i would do my best well, you to were, honor that you were able to walk that walk because understood right you weren't just someone taking a position or doing a job or trying to satisfy whatever you were one of them at the same time let the listeners know we're talking with the one and only frida kelly we're going to take a break and we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about that journey as the as the fame of the beatles grew and she had to sort of manage the expectations of those fans and experience it all along the way keep it here it's Dane on 720 WGN. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. 720 WGN. Dane here with you. Skyline Studio reaching 38 states in Canada. Here is the Beatles music and of course their uh, fame reached every corner of the world. Excited to have on Frida Kelly. You know her of course as the original president of the Beatles fan club frida welcome back hello you mentioned I'm still here <laughs> thank goodness you <laughs> mentioned that you knew right away that there was nothing like them it was something special we didn't necessarily know what that could turn into there wasn't a roadmap for success and uh, did the guys know and you of course were right there with them experiencing so much of that journey along with them they understood obviously that they were making music they were pleased with and that people seemed to respond to but there had never been a band like this that had had that kind of success did they know it they knew that they were popular in Liverpool and the surrounding areas, but nobody knew, you know, how famous they were going to be. I mean, to me, in those days, uh, fame was, you know, like a singer that was famous in England called Cliff Richards. Um, and that was about my limit. You know, I knew, you know, they're definitely going to be famous one day. They're going to be as big as Cliff Richards. You know, where Brian Epstein said they're going to be as big as Elvis. I mean... That was later on, but in 62 um, and in 61 as well, I was going to the cavern. Um, You just knew, they just stood out from everybody else. But it wasn't just their music, it was everything. It was the way they dressed, it was the way they acted on stage, it was the way they acted, you know, to the audience. Um, Plus they'd done, you know, later on, you know, some of their own stuff. But the four, you know, the... They just communicated with the audience, you know, um, probably better than the other groups. Did they ever say to you, you know, or did you ever hear them kind of talking about, certainly they wanted to be successful, they wanted people to hear their music. Did they aspire to anything? Did they say, like, because I don't even know that world tours existed or any of that stuff was even something commonplace. Did they say, like... No, it wasn't then. Um, 
I, I, I don't think even Cliff Richards had gone to America. I don't know. Um, but I never heard them, you know, uh, say anything like that, you know, because I was just going to the cavern and, you know, stand and I, in, at lunchtime, because there was only, say, about 30, 40 people at the most, um, and they would play for, they'd done two spots, sessions at, at lunchtime. They would do something like quarter past 12 to 1 o'clock, and then they would do quarter past 1 to 2 o'clock. And, um, you know, you, you know, you all had your own spec, for want of a better word, in the cavern, and mine was just leaning against the wall, the first arch uh, from the stage, and I used to just lean against the wall and shout up to them, not just me, other girls as well, I used to just shout up and say, oh, can you play such and such, and or, you know, can you do such and such, or you would go in what was called the band room, the door was always open, um, and you could, it was, you know, you just walked in the band room and they'd be sitting there and you'd just say, oh, it's such and such as birthday today. Can you play, say, Anna? You know, wow. everything was very relaxed and, um, you know, you, you, you could communicate with them, you know, face to face and everything. They seem to be. And that was one of the things that wasn't built either is just that mechanism for trying to handle or or deal with with the fame and everybody was kind of down to earth and certainly they had expectations and aspirations. And if Cliff Richards was the pinnacle, like this is a wow, if you could do that, then you've really made it. At what point Frida did, did it was, was there a moment when, uh, when it was explained to them or told to them, Hey, you know what, we're going to go to America or Hey, this is, you know, there's a market for this or your popularity has gotten to the point that we really need to get out there. Well, that, 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 that would be discussed with, uh, Brian Epstein, you know, so I wasn't in on that because you have to remember I was doing an office job in the day. They were coming in and out of the office, and so not just them. We had other artists on our books. Um, so, you know, I was, like, typing letters. I was doing wages. I was, you know, I was jack of all trades. I was going to the post office. I was running to the bank. <laughs> I was answering the phone. Um, I, um, If... You know, Brian Epstein would dictate that it provisionally there was a booking going to be made, you know, for Blackpool. I would put it in the diary in pencil. And then when the contract came back signed, you then went over that pencil uh, in ink. So which meant it was confirmed that they were doing that, that booking in Blackpool on such and such a date. So I wasn't involved in the big conversations like that because they would be, you know, in Brian Epstein's office talking. Or, and funny enough, Brian Epstein had no seats in his office. He only had the one seat at his desk. So they used to lean on, we'll say, the window ledge. Wow. And and the window ledge, was it was quite high up. And the, the one, um, we'll say, side of this office was all glass. It was all window. So people on the other side of the road, which was a cafe, that people used to sit in for coffee and things. If you looked out of that cafe up, at, you could see the window. You could see them, and you knew that they were in Brian Epstein's shop. <laughs> so Beatle fans around the city, you know, if they saw that, they would just go in the shop and wait for them to come down and talk to them. But, you know, even up to 1963, they were walking around Liverpool. They weren't like... Um, 
you know, hysterical fans. There were fans, but they didn't scream and shout and bawl, you know. <laughs> There's none of the Beatle, Beatle madness, you know, in the city at that time. We're going to talk a little bit about that during our next break. Is when they came here, I know that when my mom had gotten a chance to see the Beatles at the International Amphitheater here in Chicago, and she said that everyone just screamed at the top of their lungs. They couldn't hear any of the music. They didn't know what no. was being played. They just did it for that period. I wanted to ask I you, think it was just the excitement of, of actually getting a ticket and seeing them on stage. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, sometimes when I do Q&As, I do say, you know, I wish the Beatles fans could have seen the real Beatles in the cavern. You know, because to me, that was the Beatles. Because, you know, when they went to America, you were just seeing them in suits and they were playing records, you know, numbers that you could buy on a record and you weren't even hearing it. And you didn't see the real Beatles. What? I usually say, if you, if you want an idea of what they were like, watch the film Hard Day's Night, because to me, that gives a little bit of insight what they were like. And their personalities, too, and you got to see that firsthand yeah. from from the get-go. Now, here's the thing, because you were that direct connect to the fans, and you, as a fan, understood what it is other people were seeing, seeing in them. And so when it when it first happened, when you got word that they were going to go to America, you probably saw, just as you mentioned, there were people working the North and working the South, and you were working it, that this was going to mean a lot more work for Frida Kelly. Well, well, no, when, when they were going to America, um, we had a, more staff then, because this was 1964, and I just, there was two of us that were really, you know, big Beatles fans, the receptionist, uh, who eventually ended up receptionist for Apple, Laurie McCaffrey, and myself, we were the Beatles fans, and we were on edge, because we didn't know what way America would react. Really? And you didn't have mobile phones in those days or anything, so... We were thinking, oh, we hope you love them. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I know. And then Brian Epstein actually rang and told us, and I think Laurie and I were jumping around, around the office. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that, it, is, that is, it is amazing to hear that story because that is just, you know, the excitement that you had was not only excitement for yourself to see the people that you had loved and supported and wanted to see them be successful, but also knowing just what it could mean for the rest of the world. And it meant every bit of it, too. When we come back from this break we're going to talk more with uh with frida kelly we've got an event that's coming up that we're going to highlight uh here in chicago fest for beals fans august 7th through the 9th plus a little bit more about that journey as she traveled with them on their journey not only to stardom but uh but to immortality basically so keep it here at staying 720 wgn <laughs> WGN, it is uh, Dane here with you until 4 a.m. high atop Chicago Skyline Studio on the line with us now. Excited and honored to have uh, the original president of the Beatles fan club, the one and only Frida Kelly. Frida, welcome back. Thank you. So before before you go on, can I just say something? Yes, for sure. I've got um, six cousins in Chicago. (laughs) Really? And I just... Yeah, and I'd just like to say hello to them um, because, you know, I do like Chicago. I've been to Chicago to the festival before, but before I went to the fest, I had a week uh, in Chicago with my daughter and grandson. 
So um, I saw quite a bit of your city, which I loved, and also my cousins. So uh, I just like to say hello to them. They're probably asleep in bed, by the way. What you should have given them the big. You should have given them a heads up. They can get a shout out. Well, we'll have links to this up at wgnradio.com. They'll be excited to hear uh, hear that you were on this station. Of course, it's uh, you know the, the biggest station in the Chicago market, one of the biggest in the country. They'll be excited to have you here. So as you got a chance. <laughs> You know, just as as America got a chance to to know the Beatles, as you got a chance to know America too, through through a lot of the stories and through a lot of the interest and everything. What are some of your favorite places? Chicago, for one, but are there other places yeah. around America that you love? Oh yes, I I, I love Ohio and uh, I like Cleveland, and I tell you another place I loved um, Hot Springs. You know, uh, Arkansas. I, I went there. Yeah, I went there twice. And another place, um, I didn't think I'd like Vegas. Uh, I went to Vegas, <laughs> and uh, to me, that was uh, Disney World for adults. Yes, it is. Uh. You know what they say for you, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Number one, first off, Cleveland, Ohio is probably going to add your, uh, I think, your testimonial that you that you support it and you like it. They're going to add that to the welcome sign as you drive into town. This is big for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I better mention everywhere I've been. I'm like, <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, I, I wanted to know. I can't, I can't upset people. No, no. Yes, you're a fan <laughs> of, of everybody equally. Now, when you got a chance to hear the music and you got a chance to hear the Beatles while they were still playing some covers before all of the, uh, you know, the originals yeah. were written, and their music really does span so many different styles. So this is the way that they were able to kind of change what it is that they were doing musically from time to time. Did you did you like all of it equally, or did you like certain parts or certain styles or certain albums more than others and say, geez, I wish they'd do more of that? Obviously, it's all been successful. Not really. I mean, that's one of the questions people ask me. They say to me, um, oh, what's your, bav- your favorite Beatles song? Um, I haven't got one because how can you pick just one out of all of that, you know? Um, naturally, I have... Not favourites, but when I hear a certain record, you know, it, it opens my memory box, you know, like something from Magical Mystery Tour, because I spent a week with them um, touring on Magical Mystery Tour. And then um, I love, you know, the first album, um, because I used to like John singing Anna, and uh, Do You Want to Know a Secret, and all of them, you know, that reminds me of The Cavern. Um, so... You know, and uh, you know, I love Sergeant Pepper, but then again, I love Revolver, and yeah. so no, I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't have a favorite. I, I just like it all. You well, know, well, you, you um, know. when when um, like say, ask me why first came out. Well, be- before it came out, um, Epi had naturally the demo disc, and he played it, and I I thought, hmm, you know, sounds terrible, doesn't it? But it, that that actually grow on me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I had to hear it about three times uh, before I thought, yeah. And then naturally, and I think things that grow on you linger, don't they? They stay. <laughs> it's it is strange to think about this as musical styles change, and there are certainly some acts that have iconic hits or songs or or careers that have stayed with us and and remained in the mainstream. But one of the mm. things about the Beatles that is so 
that I think so very unique is that music is is just it as, doesn't date. It does it? Does, it doesn't no, date. it's as relevant as mm-hmm. an, and as important as, as impressive. You could play it for kids nowadays, and they will love it just as much as kids did back in the '60s. That's very yeah. unique. Yeah, I think it's great. You know, like uh, naturally, you know, I didn't do anything for a long, long time, and I was quite nervous when I first started. Um, you know, I started with Mark Lapidus in New Jersey. That was my first festival. And naturally, you know, people didn't know me and I didn't know them. So I could like wander around. And it was just lovely to see the different age groups, you know, and all the young people as well. And uh, also it was it was nice to... You know, I, I, I thought I wouldn't enjoy it because I was quite a reserved person. But you know what? Once you start talking to Beatles fans, and um, they're just so nice. And I've made a lot of friends now and kept a lot of friends through, you know, my my doing the festivals. You know, I mean, you know, really good friends in Chicago. You know, um, they came to my 70th birthday party. <laughs> Um, so I had, you know, I invited a few people from all around America, and you know what? They all came. Yeah. Well, well, they have something so that was in, good. in common with you, just as you did. I think that's one of the things that made you that perfect fit for the fan club in the beginning. And to, to let the listeners know, what was, like, as someone who was a fan and, and knowing what it is they might want, what was the process for getting in the fan club? And what did people get? Did they get any kind of either trinkets or promotional items? Did that stuff even exist? Like, how did the fan club work? And, and what did you know they would appreciate? No, they didn't. Um, they joined, you know, it was only, oh, I don't even know what it would be in dollars or anything. When they first joined, because it was old English money then, it was five shillings. And they got a membership card and they got what was called, um, you know, newsletters. And uh, then, but they also got a Christmas present. Um, they got the fan club records. And uh, then when the fan club ended, um, they, they got what was called an, an Apple key ring. Um, but on top of that, they got all the Christmas records. They put them on an, uh, an LP, an album, and that was the final present to them. Now, I don't know any other fan club that's done anything like that. I mean, to run a fan club, it's very expensive. You know, the postage bill and everything, but the Beatles wanted a fan club, and um, they were very good, you know, with the fan club as well. So, uh, and the fan club, well, it, it the, the official fan club that came under the Beatles' wing uh, was from 1961 to 1972. And uh, I stayed, you know, I'd done it officially from 1962, Right through to 1972. When it comes to the to the so, fan club, for so him. when there was no when there was no, for want of a better word, Beatle group. <laughs> right, you went through the entire actual active period of the band, and even and even past that. And of course, the fans and interest in the band, you know, it never stopped. You know, it, what was. What was one of those things? Did the did the band feel, and how did you guys feel as part of it? Certainly happy for all the excess, but when that hysteria happened, and when things came 
and became, I don't know, almost uncontrollably popular, right? Where they were in the news, in the headlines, and all that kind of stuff in mm. a way that you sort of had to just fly by the seat of your pants. Like we've said before, there wasn't a roadmap for this. Did Was the hysteria, it was obviously great for the career and very lucrative. And it was a great business. But was were there some downsides to it? Were there some negatives where maybe it was a, you know, more stress on the band, the people, you, everybody? Well, yeah, you know, you, you know when you're famous, you know, like a all the pop stars now and uh, movie stars and everything, you know, if you're out in public, you know, you're not left alone, are you? Um, but, you know, there is times and there is places that you can go and, and some some of your fans are quite good. They don't pounce on you and everything. So they went through all that, you know, but they also had a life. And naturally, they had a private life as well. But I wouldn't discuss their private life, you know, I mean... I don't know if you know. <laughs> I can be, <laughs> I can be quite abrupt at times, and I was getting fed up with, um, pe- you know, fans writing in with personal questions, mm-hmm. and in the end, I put in one of the newsletters that uh, I wouldn't answer them, um, and also, I, you know, I didn't know some of the answers, and you know, I was running the Beatles fan club for like the fan side and the music side, not to tell everybody about their private life. And, you know, they are, they were, and I did put it in the newsletter, they were entitled to a private life. And please don't ask me about it. So don't, I got out of it that way. <laughs> yeah, but, but don't you think that's one of the other aspects, an intangible, maybe an unexpected, that made you also perfect for that role? Is that in, and you couldn't have seen it, no one could have predicted it, but the fact that you were so at least understanding of them and uh, and just so protective Right of that, you wanted to be able to share because you're a fan the music side of it, but understanding that they need that because I'm sure over the at the time for for sure, but also over the years leading up, you know, people would have loved. There would have been uh, it would have been you know lucrative. It would have been there would have been opportunities for you to do sort of a tell all book, but you never did. No, well, you've got you've got to appreciate and that people do need a private life. Everybody needs a private life. You don't want the world and his wife knowing all about you, or, well, I should imagine, you know, the majority of people are like that. They don't, you know, and um, they do want to know about your job, uh, and, you know, you're in that job to talk about it. And, uh, you know, they they spoke about the music, they spoke about other things, but they didn't really like being asked um, personal questions, and neither did I, you know. But that that's just... That's just people's character. It isn't just a, a rule or anything. Because when I f- first started uh, with Brian Epstein, there was no employment law, um, and he didn't sign contracts and, you know, uh, like a you contract to say what, yep. what your hours of work were and what days you worked, and there was none of that. It, it was just your word was your word, you know. It's it's the kind of thing that's that is absolutely amazing. We're going to talk a little bit more about the event coming up, the Fest for Beatles fans, August seventh to ninth. Uh, you're going to be a part of it, and we'll of course highlight some of that stuff. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other parts that happened with the Beatles, the the band, the great seats that you had for it, and maybe some of your thoughts on what the future ended up becoming for the band and the individual members uh, from your perspective. It is Frida Kelly. She is joining us here, and uh, so keep it here. It's Dane on seven twenty. WGN. To get back homeward. Once those away, 
720 WGN. It is Dane here with you. Hi, atop Chicago in the Skyline studio and joined by the incomparable Frida Kelly. Of course, you know her as the first president for the Beatles fan club. And a big shout out from from Frida and us here at WGN to her cousins here in the Chicagoland area who are excited to hear uh, her on the line with us. Frida, welcome back. And I, I wanted to ask, too, as a person who was there in the beginning and there after the end of the actual kind of activity of the band, were there times when you could see that things were either, whether whether it was either the band members, I don't want to say growing apart, I know that they remained close, but but where they maybe had other interests or solo projects or things like that, when, when, when they kind of called it quit, was it something that you saw coming uh, before it happened or before everyone else did? Well... You know, 10 years is a long time when you're 17 and then you're 27. And, you know, you're going through your teenage years and you go into adults and everybody life changes. You know, there was the group, but then as I put in the film, you know, they got girlfriends and then they got wives and then they had children. So naturally, in in one way, you are the same person, you know, you don't change yourself, but your family life and your other life does change, you know, um, you know, they were seeing each other, but not as much. And also, you, deep down, you knew it couldn't go on forever, and, um, you know, my life was changing as well, and yeah. you, you want other things, don't you? You know, um, so you, you, you could see you know, just everything was changing, even uh, things in London. I don't mean just in Apple. I mean, you know, the world itself was changing. So, um, but yes, to answer your question truthfully, yeah, I could see things changing did, quite drastically. Did you did you see, though, or did you have, obviously, as a, as a long-time confidant and fan of the things that they've done and know what kind of potential they had to create even more music when they got a little bit of distance and perspective and maybe to come back together again. Obviously, that just... Well, know. they were already doing that even when, before they split. They were doing their own thing in one way, you know. Um, and uh, so, but you have to remember as well, I wasn't really heavily seeing a lot of them because I stayed in Liverpool. Yeah. So I would only go to London you know, every six weeks or uh, when I had my son, you know, I went, I would bring him down, you know, even as a baby rather than leave him in Liverpool. So I would just go down for the day then, you know, but I, you know, I was going down to, to, we say, to work, you know, go into Apple and discuss things with Peter Brown and Neil Aspinall and try and get, you know, and say what was happening with the fan club and, you know, I saw Tony Barrow quite a bit, the press office, so I would get news. And I really was just there, we'll say. I, I, you know, don't get me wrong, I did. I stayed with Ringo Ringo, you know, at a flat in London. And um, then he, they had a house in Hampstead. So I stayed with him and Mo because I was very friendly with both of them. But I also, you know, before I was married, um, I knew a lot of Liverpool girls that lived in London. So I would, you know, before I was married, I would go down on the Friday, you know, do my work in the office, stay with my, you know, different friends. One of the girls I stayed with quite a bit was a girl called Pat Davis. She, funny enough, now lives in L.A., has lived in L.A. for for years. And uh, we would go clubbing it, 
you know, to the various clubs around London. So I did have a good time in the beginning, and I would see them then. You know, I also went, you know, to the Adlib and the Scottish St. James with them. And um, then when I was married, you know, as I said, you know, I went down to London for the day. But I also went down for, you know, the Christmas parties. You know, the office, Apple had Christmas parties. So I would go, I would go down for them. Um, but I didn't see as much of them as I did in the early days. Yeah. Because you know, they were, naturally, they were in and out of the office quite a lot because... You know, <laughs> uh, people in groups um, stay in bed in the morning. They don't get up till probably about lunchtime because they've been playing and come in late. Right. And then, you know, they probably get under their mother's feet or they get fed up at home. So they would come into town and then come into the office and mess about. In the, I don't mean mess about, but, you know, they would go through fan mail. They would come and see Brian Epstein and they'd wander around town. I don't mean just them. I mean, you know, Jerry and the pacemakers, they used to come in the office quite regular. Scylla, the foremost, Billy Jay, you know, because uh, Billy lives over there now. And I, I link up with Billy when I I, I uh, go to America. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, after all this, I, I, you know, I have been to America for, like, we say a holiday or... To, to stay with friends, I've stayed with May Pang quite a bit, and I used to go over for her parties, you know, in October. I didn't go last October because I wasn't very well, and of course now nobody can go anywhere, can they? Yeah. That's why we're having the fest this weekend. It's the, you want to talk about the fest, do yeah, you? Yeah, the, the fest, yeah, the fest.com. The, is the amount of people that Mark has got on, you know, on Zoom is absolutely brilliant. It, you know, it's going to be great for everybody to link in all over the weekend. It would have been the 44th year. Uh, in Chicago, forty-four dollars each for the whole weekend. Mm. You were doing all that technology stuff, the the Zoom, and getting everybody involved and having the opportunity to kind of get in on this August seventh through the ninth. And the show times will be on Chicago time, of course. The Fest for Beatles fans. It's the Fest dot com and people are going to have an opportunity to talk with you to ask you questions we wanted to ask you know as as people because you've had that proximity and the experiences that almost nobody else has had and so do people come and ask you hey what do you think if the Beatles if if let's say if John and George would have would be with us today like if they would be making music or touring if they would have got together do people ask you those questions they ask me those questions but I can't answer them you know um I I I I I don't know, you know. I can just assume things, um, but uh, I I only, my own opinion, and I'll always give my own opinion, and it's just my opinion. It's not other people's opinion. Um, I never thought that they would ever get back together again as a group. It just wouldn't. Once they broke up, they broke up, and that was it. And, maybe, and they were too involved with their own things then, anyway. And successful. Now, I think the chemistry that is necessary to make a band is is something sort of magical, right? But if you look at it, each one of them was so very talented in their own right. I mean, they were all yeah. successful solo as well. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I, what I liked about them, you see, I'm not a... You know, I hope people don't take this the wrong way. I'm not an individual fan. I'm a Beatle fan. You know, I I like some things that they've done and some things I'm not keen on. But the Beatle music, I'm a, I'm a Beatle fan and I'll always be a Beatle fan. So I play 
not all the time, you know, because I, I like other music as well. Um, but I'll always play Beatle records. I have it on in my car or I'll play, in, you know, a Beatle number every now and again, you know. Um, and it, it is, I mean, so, you, you have, like you said, that, that unique experience and kind of that pedigree along with it as well. We want to say the fest.com is the website. The perk of each person having their own ticket is each ticket gives you an entry to win a rare book signed by Paul McCartney, Linda's Polaroid Diaries. I guess that's worth $2,000. So that would be a great thing to win. And having your own ticket will give you your own Zoom face box and control of whether you wander in the virtual hallway abyss. So there's going to be a lot of fun elements that are built into it. And, and Frida, as we let you go, for those people that want to either get more information, continue the conversation, catch up with your adventures, um, where can they go? Well, they're actually, um, on the Saturday night, Mark is showing, uh, I'm, I've done a documentary called Good Old Frida. So not good old Right. Old, it's O L apostrophe. So I think Mark is going to show that on the Saturday, so that will give people a bit of insight of what I've done. And then um, I'm being interviewed on the Sunday at w- one o'clock your time, and by Terry. And then uh, I'm doing a little bit of Q and A. I think I'm on for about thirty minutes. And I think Billy J. Kramer is on after me. It's a great opportunity. So it would be really good for everybody. You know, I mean, there's so many people on, uh, all connected one way or the other with the Beatles. It's it's a great opportunity. I don't know how Mark does it all. Well, I mean, he's got a brilliant wife and two daughters, so they they do their share. (laughs) I've done a test run with them to make sure it works on Sunday. I've done it last Sunday, and it was nice to link up with them again. It's a great opportunity for people to have that opportunity to talk with you, to hear those great stories. I know that you don't get um, tired of telling them because you are, as always, a big fan of of that. And it's just a luxury for people to have you kind of share that and be as enthusiastic about all of it as you ever were because there are so many people that have not lost that enthusiasm for the Beatles and so many new fans you know, coming along every day. And so, Frida, I can't thank you enough for, for participating in this, thefest.com, to get information, get in on all of it. And thanks for jumping on the show tonight. Thank you. And thank you for a good interview, by the way. (laughs) I appreciate it. And thanks for being a part of it. We're excited and uh, we can't wait to see you in person uh, next year. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Thanks, Frida. Enjoy Liverpool. All right. So that's so Frida. That's Frida Kelly. Of course, you know her as the original president for the Beatles fan club and uh, an opportunity to go ahead and it's one thing to be able to be involved in things that are, you know, that are already established, even if they're in the early part of the establishment, but to be a part of something that not only um, is something that changed, I think, everybody's kind of uh, perception of music, but also just that whole stardom thing. Like, there was never anything like that. Concerts, even of themselves, were not really a thing. I mean, when they showed up, and Tom, I mentioned it with Frida. So when my mom saw the Beatles at the International Amphitheater here in Chicago, they showed up in that relatively large space with just like practice amps, like you'd have in your garage band, you know, not the big rigs and any of that stuff. Yeah, my dad actually saw them in, because uh, he's Scottish, uh, saw them when he was just a boy, about 1962, um, maybe 60. Wow. So my dad dad was born in 1952, so he would have been about 11, 12, maybe 11, 12 years old. And he saw them when they toured Scotland. 
So that's a but that's a great story. That's the kind of thing he probably brought up. All, I don't want to say all the time, but probably because who Everyone's who has who has those stories, right? That's one of those things that you know America and people got an opportunity to go ahead and uh, and uh, and meet the Beatles much later. Those stories, very few people have. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and wrap it up. It's staying here seven twenty WGN.